you're tuned to the World is Listening podcast. I'm your host, Nola Honan. Today is a very special episode as we take you to a live panel discussion hosted at this year's Shambhala Festival in Northamptonshire, England. Shambhala graciously welcomed the World is Listening on site this year to shine a light on women performing in music. We grabbed a load of great interviews, hosted a workshop titled Combat the Critic, and curated this excellent panel of women you are about to hear. To give you a bit of context, The World Is Listening was created as a response to a statistic released in 2011 that women made up only 14% of PRS for music writers and performers. We hope to address the gender gap in the industry through conversation, education opportunities, research and, of course, shining a light on our female role models. Before I introduce them, I need to warn you of some very severe, high-level swear words. These women sure know their way around the English language very well, and I think the C word makes quite an early appearance, so you have been warned. Uh, there is also a lot of background noise. We were at a festival, but um, I'll update you with the movement of a certain procession as we go along. Please enjoy the podcast. And if you do, we have two weekly shows on BCFM radio available on FM and DAB in Bristol or online at bcfmradio.com. And you can keep in touch with us via theworldislistening.co.uk on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And this podcast is available via SoundCloud or your podcast app. Thanks for listening. Let's hear this panel discussion from Shambhala Festival. Very, very excited uh, to introduce Rihanna Connolly. <laughs> Please welcome her. Hi, how are you doing? <laughs> uh, is uh, an Irish Republican. She Monarchy is immoral. <laughs> Which <laughs> uh, raising tons of projects. She's she sings traditional Irish music. She's just done that at the Wandering Word, um, and she's got a solo album out called Black Lung. She's part of an amazing group called Honeyfeet, who are doing three shows here this weekend, and uh, they've got a couple, an album out and another on the way. And she's just released a brand new album with a new project called The Breath and signed to her first label with that project as well. Uh, so welcome, Ree. <laughs> Next along, Gwyneth Herbert. Please give her a hand. Yeah. Oh, Monica's in I was in here for Gwyn's set last night. It was the first time I ever saw her play, and I've never seen anyone make those noises come out of their face the way that she did. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. So, so um, which maybe we're just here talking, but maybe we can <laughs> <laughs> So uh, she's recently released an album, um, The Sea Cabinet, uh, and has worked with a lot of record labels, but now working independently. Uh, and if you missed her last night, then please go and check out her music. They're all super talented. Lastly, over on the left, please welcome Anushka Shankar. Anushka made her first live 
record at the age of 13, recorded live in concert. So she's been at the game a very long time and recorded her first album signed to EMI <laughs> at the age of 17 and has a brand new album out uh, all about the stories of the refugee crisis. It's called Land of Gold and that's out with Universal and we're going to hear those songs on the main stage tonight, which is very exciting. So Anushka Shankar, welcome. <laughs> Okay, so I've done a bit of research, and I've, I, I called Ree to see what we might want to talk about, and we were on the phone for 92 minutes, which was... Wow. <laughs> one Ridiculous. <of> the <laughs> <laughs> and during that conversation, so um, uh, I, I think a lot of the music you make is classified in, a, say, let's say, a record shop as world music. Anushka would probably World music. be the same. Mm -hmm. And Gwyn, you started in the jazz section and the music you're making now, we'll, we'll get to this, is maybe not so much jazz, but you still call a jazz singer, so Sometimes. we'll talk about that. So Re, in our conversation, you talked, um, you mentioned the, the kind of concept of world music as a genre and the fetishization. Mm. Um, mm. Do you want to share nice. your thoughts on this? Um, well, personally, I don't really know where to start there, but um, that was you. I was though. <laughs> um, I'm going to do this. Sounds like a. <laughs> well, this is really just on my chest. Um, yeah, no, uh, world music. I think I got. Um, I'm, I'm a bit pissed off about it sometimes. Yeah because um, it kind of puts us in another category that's outside of mainstream. And um, uh, people hear my name and they go, sorry, how do you pronounce that? And I go, Rihanna, you know, it's like Chris Rhea with a na. And they go, what are all those letters in there for? And I go, well, it's another language. So, uh, you know, it's got a different fanatic system. And, Fathers and you have to silence the consonants, and they go, Oh, how exotic! And I go, Awesome, okay. So, uh, and you be polite and you smile and you nod, and you do a lot of that as a woman, I think, and that pisses yep. me off. You have to smile and nod and be gracious and polite, and inside you're going, uh, uh, uh. Exit strategy, <laughs> you can go, Yeah, uh, somebody help me here. We've got a code word actually where my my other half comes in, swoops in and takes me away and I go, <laughs> But um, yeah, no, I think as an Irish woman, um, I think when people are sitting you down and they're going, right, how can we market you? Uh, and I, I'm interested, it's curious to me and they kind of go, oh, well, you're very earthy and you're very, motherly and you're very and they use these these buzzwords but someone mentioned in a in a in a publicist kind of strategy that um they weren't going to chase the paddy pound uh in my company and it was a is a used term so that got my back up and i didn't want to have a philosophical debate but i found it quite xenophobic and um but that's another thing all as well. Uh, but I find that um, because I play the flute and I sing Shanos, then that means old style. And they go, oh, 
how can we, what does that mean? And I went, well, it just means old style and it's usually unaccompanied and, you know, it's usually 27 verses long and they go, right, and how can we market that? And then they go, oh, you're sort of like, like the old furry people playing the flute. And I go, no, no, definitely not. Very much here. Um, and then they go, oh, uh, so tell me about your family. Is it all very archetypally Irish? Do you all dance jigs and play the Ellen pipes? And I go, yes. <laughs> yes, we do. I've got full of dancers and everybody plays, you know, traditional Irish instruments, but it's not something I want to really have marketed because it'll just kind of put me in a isn't she so Irish box so um and you know oh I suppose you drink whiskey yeah I love whiskey but that's not something you know like yeah I could I could spend a lot of time ranting and then you kind of you're you're kind of dismembered then because they just see you as an angry Irish woman going well, that's not true but it is true <laughs> but, you know so um and I'm a kinu, so I sing people into the grave. Um, and it's an honour in my family to be called to sing people as they're being buried. And it's about the grieving process. But I don't want that to be what, you know, I'm marketed by either. So it's contish, yeah. Yes. Sorry, bad. Yeah, sorry. I went off on one. No, it's good. Yeah. Anushka, um, I don't know how to follow it. I know, yeah. it's fine. <laughs> It's yeah. my job to lead you, so. Yep. Um, <laughs> is it, I mean, Rena brought up, you know, just to, is it totally to do with marketing? But is it is it possible that w at whatever stage world music became this popular genre that it helped make music from around the globe more accessible? Yeah. Or it's just labels, isn't it? It kind of... Um I never know what to say with this one because um, with, with my dad being who he is, and uh, maybe there's one person here who doesn't know who that is, but uh, my dad's Ravi Shankar, and um, he kind of coined the term world music back in the 50s he and started himself? championing that right. phrase, world music, because what he was up against when he, because he was the first person from India to be touring internationally. And so what he was labeled as was ethnic music. Ah. So, Ethnic music didn't feel quite so nice. Well, and racist, so he's right? yeah, let's <laughs> call it so, what it so is. So he started using the the phrase world music as a kind of less offensive term. Okay, um, and then from there it caught on. But again, it's just another label. So at this point, it's quite a, a trendy thing, I think, in the media for people to ask people like me, "What would you call it instead?" Because we all know it's a useless term. It means anything that's everything else other than the mainstream. But as soon as you come up with another term, it's just doing the same thing. It's yet another label mm. for everything else, everything other, like you said. So it's really that whole system that has to be done away with. you know. And I think that's very difficult if you're wanting to operate in a massive industry where we are a smaller piece of the, the pie. It's that phrase of how do we market it? How do we market it? Like everything has to fit in one sentence mm. and three tag words. And without that, people don't know what to do with you. It's like she's the Indian daughter of crossover person you know fine okay great that's that's who that this is the Irish flute singing you know and it's like without anything you know there's no room there's no space for any more than that and so unless you're prepared to really like take the bull by the horns every single time you're up there like for me it's just a day-by-day -day process every time I do an interview I like have to promise to commit to not get sucked in it's like I'm gonna answer these questions 
to the best of my ability on my terms. Like mm -hmm. they'll ask me a standard question and I'm gonna try and give it a truthful real answer where I say a bit more. Usually what happens is I say so much, none of it gets printed though, so <laughs> it doesn't work. But um, <laughs> when, I, when I was doing some reading up about you this week, um, you were nominated, you've been nominated for some Grammy Awards. Mm. Have you won? Five, you won five. Mm -hmm. You nominated for five, one zero. No. Sorry, awkward. Um, five Grammy, I think this is the first time I've ever met anyone who's nominated for Grammy. I've never so won one, right? I've right. just nom been but nominated. But one year, yeah. you were nominated in yeah. the world music section and your sister, Nora Jones, was- Won every fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> it was that so was funny. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> No, it was, I mean, that's a whole separate story. And every she, year yeah, you've yeah. been nominated for the Grammys, it's been in world music. And well, yeah, I you mean, just, it's, yeah. You, it's, you play beautiful music, but it's on a sitar, so we have to put it in the, There's know. There's 167 Grammy categories. Um, and one of those is for world music. And so I was nominated this year in February, and I was up against Gilberto Gil, Angelique Kidio, Ladysmith Black Mambazo, and, um, and a younger project where they'd gone into prisons and like recorded mm. singers, which was amazing. But it was like, it was like, we are, we have nothing to do with each other. I love all of their music, I do, but like we have nothing to do with each other. So what's the, what's the quantification there? I mean, taking aside whether you think awards have any value or not, like that's, that's sure. a whole no, separate thing. But like, the, it's not like there's an Indian music category or an instrumental, like I, I could fit into instrumental or collaboration or, or classical any, or traditional. But because I'm Indian, yeah, yeah. it'll automatically be world music, mm -hmm. no matter what I do. Like my albums are pretty varied but it'll always be in that one category. And I will never win, because there's other people <laughs> that do that. So 150 categories and genres mm. for the kind of white Western countries and then one yeah. for everybody else. Yeah. Okay. Fucking hell. Yeah. <laughs> Gwyn, your first album and second album were kind of mostly covers of mostly jazz, traditional jazz songs. Yeah. Okay, you faced them <laughs> when you did said that. What did they were shit. No. Your first two shit albums were <laughs> they weren't mostly shit. jazz. I listened to them. I really liked them. Um, because when, when um, the festival introduced the idea of, like, maybe you want to get Gwyneth Herbert on the panel, mm. she's a jazz singer, blah, 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 blah. Who said that? Bring no, her now. Peep, the peep them, the, me, the men. Um, and oh. and uh, and I looked you up because and the first thing I found was like your couple of recent albums which are awesome, they're amazing, and really they are they're mm. really unique and original and just like she's no chess here. Um, <laughs> what what does like what's your experience of carrying that label around? Well, it's really interesting hearing both of you talk about labels. I think that obviously people need kind of signposts in order to kind of give something a context or to mm. give them a way in to stuff. But ultimately, they're all just so fucking reductive, mm. aren't they? Like, no matter what they are. Mm. Um, I mean, I came from a jazz tradition. I love that music. But because of my experience with Universal and marketing, you know that word again, mm. like um, where they're just trying to compress you into sound bites. Mm. And, and essentially, it was a room full of men um, literally saying, you have to think about the world as a cue, as in Q-U-E-U-E. -E. Um, and everybody in the pop cue is sort of 
that's a really, really long queue, whereas the jazz queue is, is shorter, so we're going to sort of put you in there. And obviously, I came on the mm. coattails of Jamie Collum, who was their huge success story. And there's nothing that a label loves more than a formula. Um, and Jamie's brilliant at what he does. He's a fantastic entertainer, and he's like really knowledgeable and a great guy. But like, I was never going to be Jamie Cullen. Um, and so, yeah, it, so I actually really fell out with the word jazz. And in fact, with the concept of jazz, which is so heartbreaking, because I loved singing that music. Mm. Um, and when I decided to leave my label, leave Universal, um, I mean, I'm really pleased I had that experience. Because I think as a, as a recording artist, um, that's kind of like the holy grail, isn't it? Mm. That you sort of like search for a major deal. And it was fucking shit. I was really miserable, really unhappy. But it, 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 it gave me something to kick against. Because I, then I was like, all right, you're going to do that, Herbert. Well, what have you got? You know, what do you want to make? Mm. What are the stories you want to tell? Um, and now, I don't know, like, my touring stuff is a very small part of what I do. I'm writing for theatres and making weird musical art films and traveling around Kenya collecting folk songs. Um, and so each sort of world that I find myself in, you know, I'm not art enough for art or theatre enough for theatre or mainstream yeah. enough for pop or jazz enough for jazz. Um, I think what's wonderful about creating music in today's environment is that everybody's kind of in dialogue with everyone else in terms of discipline, in terms of genre. Mm -hmm. And I think if there was a way for us all to get past these generic labels, we'd just be a, a lot but more But there's starting truthful. to be more, isn't there? I think I mean, so. Well, you're probably doing that by not to take in your moderating job, but I'm so I'm so <laughs> no, interested in the I'm, I'm really interested in the fact that you did leave a major label, and mm. I want to know more about what that's been like because I've never done that, and I often think about it. <laughs> that was my question. You heard it here first. <laughs> that, that that was my question. So, um, you started with Universal. I started with a, a lovely little jazz label called Dean Street Records, okay. a little indie, uh, with my beautiful guitarist Will Russell, we went to uni together um, and then uh, and then then signed to Universal really shortly afterwards. And have you been with Blue Note? Blue, yeah well Name I basically I, yeah I basically said I will never ever sign to another record label ever again um, after Universal. Can you get into a bit more detail with us about why you've said that to you why have you, would you promise that to yourself? I was really ill I think because I kind of lacked any sort of feeling of control over my story, mm. over my songs. Like the, the, the track listing was decided by a room full of suits. Oh no. Um, you know, and, and it was literally, we need a track for TV advertising. We need a track to give Michael Parkinson a boner. We need a to, give, to give him a boner. <laughs> yeah. To give him a what? And it boner. worked. A boner. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> Good girl. Um, and, and you know, it was so anti-music. Like, it was nothing to do with music and everything to do... Yeah, and you were talking about the pandy pound. They talk about the grey pound. Yeah. The grey, you know, people with disposable income, so you need to appeal to the grey pound. And oh. so when... It's just tasteful. Yeah, it's, just, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And so, like, I, I made Bittersweet and Blue, and then they, they basically said, we made some mistakes with that record, and we kind of made you do some stuff that, that, that you know, you didn't really want to do. I mean, I remember the first time that all of the posters went up, my massive face on the tube, um, looking like some sort of wet-licked 
cracked core, like, like nothing like myself at all. Um, and I was really, really hungover on the way back from my boyfriend at the Times house. And I had a suitcase full of my laundry um, because my washing machine was broken. Um, and I saw like there were three of my massive faces on the train sta station platform. And um, I fell over my suitcase in shock. Um, and, and it all spilled open, so all of my pants like just spread out across the whole platform. Um, and I had sort of mascara down my cheeks. And I was just trying to pick up my pants in front, in front of, of your face. my face. Nice. Um, and you can see people just walking past going, <laughs> nah. And that was sort of like, it was so surreal. You've made it. And so, yeah. yeah. But what have you made? <laughs> yeah. um, and so, yeah, so they, they sort of said, go away and write and discover yourself. And I did, and it was brilliant. And I started writing and having more confidence and emptying my own band. And, and then they said, well, we, we've, we've actually, they called my managers and said, well, we've been to an LA conference and we've decided Gwyn's new album will be a, a record of big band swing covers of pop songs, like, come as you are, as, and I was like, oh. Yeah. So did you run? Well, I basically, that, I think- You didn't make that record. It, you know I've when you were talking about the sort of nodding and the smiling thing? Yeah. I think like we are such apologists and, and I feel yeah. a response, I felt a responsibility mm. for having the honor of having this record deal that was making mis mm. me miserable because so many people out there were, were, were fighting for that. Yeah, I'm so grateful. Yeah, you're thank you. To go, Hell no. Yeah, thank you. You fucking crazy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I f and I felt responsible for the brilliant musicians in my band who all have mortgages and families. Yeah. Yeah. So I started trying to find a way that I could write stories that were truthful that would appeal to the brave parents. So I'd sort of yeah. go into these marketing meetings trying to package up my heart into these ridiculous marketing strategies. And I just became smaller and smaller and smaller. And, and until, you know, I, I didn't know if I, I would ever want to make anything again. Mm. Um, and that's yeah, when I decided to walk. Yeah. Well done. Well done. Yep. Yeah. Well <laughs> Thank you. Good job. <laughs> Let's hear a track now from Gwyneth Herbert's recent album, The Sea Cabinet, available at all good music outlets. And here's a track called Drink. Drink for the funeral drums inside your belly. Drink for the rattle and the cry you'll never know. Drink for the panic that pushes you unsteady. Drink for the terror that tickles at your toe. Fate is as natural as sin. The one did fighting with the stars and the each is setting. So you got to drink for the dick and the dog and the Titanic Drink for the moment it goes
in um, discussing with each of you your relationship with monetizing your work. Oh, no. Um, what? It doesn't oh. have to be... Uh, so, uh, because, what do you mean, monetizing? Um, financing it, financing <laughs> your rent, financing <laughs> the record. That's why I'm with a major label. Okay? <laughs> like, uh, there's no other good reason to... Well, shit, who's here? Is anyone here from a major label? <laughs> 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 I, yeah. Um, because you've, you've all, I mean, firstly, because I just think I want to share this idea that music is just elitist in that respect because a French horn or, or a, a sitar or a flute in like a really good one to mm. start with is like thousands of pounds. And if you want to make electronic music, you have to have a computer and some software and some kind of MIDI instrument or something. You, know, you have to have these things that cost money. So immediately we're cutting out, mm. we're making music inaccessible for a whole group of people. Um, and so um, this is, I just wanted to share that thought, but with you following on to you, then leaving your label and now being out on your own. Um, I did sleep with a lot of other labels after I left them. <laughs> and, and that was Blue Note. I was like, I'm never <laughs> ever going to sign with a label again. And then Blue Note phoned up. I was like, oh, yeah, like it's Blue Note. That's different. And are there now greater financial pressures and other things you've, that you have to do differently financially? I mean, it is a completely different story. It's just not so being, yeah. yeah, not being with a major. But um, yeah, just I, I've, I've somehow managed to find a way of. Um, I've got sort of like two years worth of like weird ass commissions. I've sort of found the weird ass commissions niche box, which I love. Um, and so I am taking money, like taking, taking gigs that pay, which is brilliant mm. to live in a beautiful flat overlooking the sea in Hastings. I can't afford to live in London. Mm. Do you live in mm. London? Yeah, but that's not me managing to afford it. Yeah, really, it's <laughs> just barely. I have a husband who works as well, so I can Marvelous. be a bit more. Yeah. Creatively free, basically. So again, it's So yeah. you've Anushka have been, as we said, with the label since you since you've I've been with labels from the beginning. From I was, the beginning. I was with EMI for the first few records and then um, they I think didn't know what to do with me after a while and um, and I moved to Universal. But actually I was with Angel Records, which is a classical label in America, and then I moved to Deutsche Grammophon, which is a classical label in Germany. But Angel was under EMI Universal owns Deutsche Grammophon. Now EMI is owned by Universal anyway, so it's the same thing, you know. So this is where it gets really weird, is like the people that I've always worked with, like in New York, when I was with Angel for five albums, I loved those people. They got me, I got them, we worked well together. I have to say I've been very lucky that, unlike what you were talking about, I've never had people step into my music that way, and I think right. that's quite rare. Like I've, I've always just been given a carte blanche to make the album I want to make and hand it in, yeah. and I haven't realized until recently how, how rare that is, and so I'm very lucky with that. But you know, I make the record, I hand in the record, and then when it comes time for it to disseminate globally, I may know those people in New York, but who is my label in the rest of the world? Like, who's that person in France who's in charge of marketing my record? Who is it when I'm to going to Italy? Who is it in England? You know, and who are those people? You know, Angel becomes 
here, you know, for me, Deutsche Grammophon becomes universal mainstream. So I'm in the same pool as like all the main pop artists. So the people that work for, on my record are pop music fans who are 25 years old and they don't get me, you know. And if that was all they did, they, don't, they shouldn't have to get me. But once it comes time to like, now this is your job and this is my record and how are we going to do this together? It doesn't translate, you know. So, so that's the weird thing. You have you have great access when you're on a major label, but it doesn't translate. Like in all these different countries, it's like, where's the album or who's that person who's going to get me the radio interview I need to pub oh, when they don't get it? How am I going to then go forward? So it's kind of a luck of the draw. Like around the world, it's going to be completely different everywhere. And you're just you're signed with that one company, which means you're with all these other people and Roll don't have dice. a choice about that. So I might not like any other territory and not have chosen them as my company, but they're mine, you know, and that's, they own my music. So it's, it's odd, it's odd. And if for people n who don't know as much about labels, maybe, like me, um, I'm presuming, like, they, pe they, they front the money for the production of the album, the distribution of the mm -hmm. album, the, the business side of the tour. What... Have you have you got any business side of the tour? Business, I Anybody? mean the budget. I mean the budget <laughs> side of the tour. No, no. I've never been. No, never. Never. I've never had tour. So some. I think if you're a big pop artist, okay, you get tour support. The more money you make, the more money you get given. So the album yeah, and the so distribution's taken care of, but then touring is a is whole completely other. Completely on us. Yeah, yeah. And how? What's your relationship with creativity and and money and finances? It's a pressure, isn't it? The way that like we have to worry about money and worry, is there going to be enough people on the tour we were, so I can pay the rent? A couple of years ago on tour with my band, we were all talking about the kind of, I mean, a lot of my band went to like music school properly and I didn't, I learned at home from my dad. But, but even the ones that went to music school, I kind of assumed that they had a kind of training in this stuff. And it turned out none of them did. And we were saying how good it would be if like music school also taught you music business. Like what is it gonna mean once you're a musician? Like how you're out there, how do you manage your stuff? What, is, what does all of it mean, you know? Uh, and it's really hard to figure all of that out. So I, I, I'm really bad at that stuff. Um, I, I don't understand it. And it's constantly an uphill struggle. Um, okay, so I'm just gonna interrupt here. It's Nola, your host. Um, as well as the music business being an uphill struggle, Anushka Shankar was also referring to the arrival of a large festival procession featuring many, many drums and wind instruments. Um, let's carry on. Okay, Re, you, you talk the way you talk about your so <laughs> oh. <laughs> drum roll. Festivals can't sort of work around that, can you? <laughs> Do you want to keep going? Yeah. Okay. So um, you have you've just recently signed to the label for the first time after having made music for your whole life and independently and funding your own records and funding your own tours, which is what you call the hustle. Hustling. Yeah. Hustling. Tell us about. Yeah. Your hustle, because we've, it's a very different story than Anushka and Gwyn's story in terms of like having having to be in lots of different projects that all earn a small amount of money, yeah. so that you can earn one salary enough to kind of pay the rent. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I've always um, I've always taught, and I've always had about 
four or five jobs and about seven or eight projects running concurrently. Um, I teach with members of my band. Um, all, all the rest of my bands have got other jobs as well. And it's a bit like spinning plates, you know? So um, <clears throat> the first recordings, you can hear me cooking in the background and scratching and roaring over the, over the record. And we did them all ourselves. And then the next, my first solo record um, was done on favours, you know, like uh, we're, we're in about four or five different circuits in Manchester. And, you know, you do session work for people over the years. And then when it comes to record, then you pull in your favours. And it was all done on trade basis or who you owed a favour to or who owed you a favour. And it was done in a nice way, you know, we kind of, all kind of keep yourself warm in the winter time in a cold, wet city, and then, and then you make loads of things in the cold and the dark, you know, and then, um, then you hoof it out for the summer festival, and then you try and get yourselves through the festival circuit together, and um, you know, people have kids and they have. Um, how's it rent to pay so you feel that responsibility of kind of keeping everybody treading everybody's heads above water so um it was always fun and then in the last six or seven years you kind of go right you gotta start boxing clever here Rena, because there's a lot of people here you know um a lot of people here who are giving up their their time and their and their lives so you just work harder and I do a lot of community work, I do a lot of um, summer schools and uh, community projects and refugee work and uh, working with vulnerable young adults and, um, and that's good, it's good for the soul and um, I, I teach five days a week and, and then you kind of, you're trying to gig, you do money spinner gigs and you're doing that fucking wedding function and you're doing that restaurant slot and you're doing that covers gig and you you just get everybody on the gig, get everybody a little bit of a wage and then then you just hustle like fuck to get it out over the summer. Um, and that's what we've done for the last 12 years, 13 years. And then this year, um, more well-paid session work start coming through, um, commissions, um, Arts Council funding, and then you go, okay, everybody, let's all dip our bread and get next rents paid together. And you know, you just gotta be loyal and um, genuine and honest with people, because the shit is gonna hit the fan. You know, if you're all in it together, everybody's gonna go off and fall down somewhere, and you just gotta drag everybody with you and um, suffer together. Um, and I think that um, that has worked well. I've got a fucking family that I'd go into battle with. And um, I've kind of hoarded it up a little bit. I've got some nice solo session work with some well-paid bands. And it's really nice. But, you know, it's coming round in karma. It's coming round because you pay it forward and then you pass it on to the next people coming up. Because in folk music, of which I am, a trustee it's all about passing it down to the next generation so I've got kids coming up now that I've taught 
who are now doing well and you know you find yourself kind of trying to get a movement together that isn't within the system so you can go right well I haven't had any help from major labels or anything like that but fuck me around with session work and stuff over and I've dipped my bread where I can but if you can be independent of that you can do that as well but with a smile on your face and be gracious as well of course of course of course but I think um I don't know what the question was anymore. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. Again. I'm exactly so sorry. Right. Um, well, um, yeah. We'll now hear a track from Rihanna's band Honey Feet. The song is Buried My Husband from their album It's a Good Job I Love You.
woman and I dance on top of them. Or I play with my husband and I dance on top of them. And I play with his woman and dance on top of them. Really good. Anushka, what are your thoughts hearing Rena's story of? her kind of, because you talked about family and her kind of community, and of, of Gwyn walking out of the label, like how, what's your like emotional reaction to these stories? Well, I, I mean, you've got to love this to do it. Like there's no, you've got to love this with every bit of you to want to do it, because it's, 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 uh, it's the hard slog, isn't it? Um, it's, I couldn't do this without family. I mean, I, I obviously started with family in a way that made it easier for me at the beginning because my, my journey into music was by learning from my father and then um, playing in his shows. And I did years of playing alongside him and learning music and being on stage and then that transitioned into me having my own shows. Um, so it was a kind of like in the fold kind of process where obviously there was really, really hard work involved, but the, the industry opened up to me. Like I was getting the opportunities to, to play. Um, so I didn't have to fight for that the same way. But what I've obviously had the inverse journey where I've always had to fight to kind of prove I deserve what I got. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's so easy for people to just go, oh, she's a child of somebody famous. So therefore, no matter what she does, its own its only value is that she had the opportunities that I didn't have, or so you know. Uh, uh, so it can be hard to kind of like have to keep going with that. But I mean, at this point, my my take on family is very different because I have a family of my own. I've got two little boys, and like that's where it's so interesting talking about this whole women in music angle, which I might have to fight to say anything about um, or to rhythm because I can't talk and hear rhythm at the same no. time. It really confuses me um, Do you want me because to talk I want to. Um, yeah, should we have a word? Hi there, Nola again. Um, at this point, Rihanna Connolly actually gets up out of her seat and heads outside to ask the procession to move. <laughs> I feel very worried for those people out there. Um, yeah. Because uh, it's like, I don't know, you guys can hear me okay if I'm talking. Yeah, yeah, okay, so at least I don't have to feel self-conscious about that. Um, so like when I was 20, 21, 22, I'd have people in my band, like my flutist or my drummer, they started having children as they were a little older than me. It's weird transitioning from being the youngest person in my band to nearly the oldest person in my band now, but that's a, a different story. But people were starting to have children. And my only frame of reference was, I hope he doesn't drop out of the tour. You know, he's having a kid. When is that going to happen? And, and these male musicians, now I look back and think, oh my god, they were on tour with me. Like, we were touring. And so we'd be like, oh, I just got the phone call. She's had the baby over in India, you know? And, and we'd go, yay! And we'd keep playing our shows every night. And and then the next person started having children, and he was on tour with me. Did you just do something out there? Did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She's amazing. Yeah, she's amazing. That's how you get what you want in the world. You go and ask and for it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how you hear women's voices. You fight yeah. for it. Yeah. Really. But I just didn't understand, you know, because yeah. of, obviously in their scenario, it was the man, the father, who was off on tour, and he was the breadwinner, so he needed to be on the road, not experiencing his child. But his wife was at home raising the kid. He was on tour with me. Fast forward to when I started having children, and it's like. Who's going to stay at home and have the baby while I 
go on tour, it's it's me, you know. Please and Skype me when it's. Boring. And suddenly it was like, oh, everything was completely different. And it's like, oh, if you're a musician, there's no there's no maternity leave. There's no like paid one year of getting to stay home and have your baby while you you know. There, there's none of that. And um, and so with my first one, I just went on the road and like my lovely sound engineers built a built a cot in the back of the tour bus and we just. We just went for it and just did the shows that had been booked before I got pregnant. And so it was like 90 shows in a year and, oh and a baby. And I, who Jesus. held the baby? Did you have the baby on the stage? And, uh, yeah, yeah it was, you know what? I was, I was so proud of that. I was so proud of that until I collapsed with exhaustion when, I, when he was two years old. Like it was totally like road warrior, I'm doing this. I have a baby, it's not changing my life, I'm doing this. And, and then I lost it, like I completely fell over dead because it's like you cannot breastfeed and do a show and do press and travel and be present for a child and not be completely depleted. Like it is insane, it is really insane. And like the thing is, I'm lucky that it's, it's my band, I'm in my band. So to some extent I've learned that since, since that happened and I, I basically collapsed from exhaustion, I've scaled down my touring and I've changed the way I do things. But I'm able to do that because it's my band so I can say I'm only going to tour six weeks of the year now as opposed to eight months um, and then just do the odd gigs in Europe near my home and, and we can build around my family, you know. But, but if I was somebody else's band member, I would be out of a job because I wouldn't be able to call those shots in someone else's band, you know. So this is like one of those areas where you go, how do women come forward and have the same sort of scenario as, as their male counterparts because it, it's, it's, not, it's not the same yet, you know, and, and I'm just really lucky that I, I already had a good setup by the time I was having kids, but otherwise I don't know what I would have done. Do you wait to have the good setup before you have kids? Was that? I mean, how long is that going to take for each individual person, you know? It, I don't can know. I, can yeah. I pose that question to Rhi and Gwyn because you, you're yet to have kids. Rhi, you had a very specific conversation with someone before you entered oh, into yeah. a job with them. I've been asked, uh, what is my birthing plan? You know, before, before even things got going, it was like, are you, are you okay to wait maybe about five years while we launch this and get it torn? And meanwhile, he had two kids. Yeah. Because, because was, he wasn't at home with his children. Like yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah. You know, like I was... Like, I wasn't ready at the time anyway. So I was like, no, that's fine. But, you know, the very fact that he asked me made me kind of just distance myself from the project because it was like, um, I just got my back up, you know? Mm. It wasn't fair. And then, like, I think naturally as a mother, I can't wait for motherhood. Like, I cannot wait for it. I think, like, the best, no offence, but the best, uh, audience, you're ever gonna have you ever gonna the most deserving no, audience. No, no, no. I think <laughs> it, it's gonna be the one that has to listen to you. No, they don't. Uh, you know, and I'd love, I'd, I'd, lo I'd love the idea of being on stage and having my child on my yeah, hip. Yeah. Is is beautiful. I think that imagery really, it really calls to me. And I grew up singing on my grandmother's knee and. And, and I look forward to that too, you know, I want, I want that. Um, but it's all, a, it's, it's obviously I haven't had the, the support to do that. Like I feel like I, you've spent so long, how many years racking about in an old van and then I'm ha having to push the fucking van and being stranded in stupid countries, just going 
the fuck are we getting home? And, you know, I've kind of thought, if I had a child now, <laughs> it, would be, it would be horrendous. You know, and I, I'm the eldest of a lot of kids. There's, there's nine of us, so, like, I know, I know what's involved. So I'm not going to put a child through that if the, the preconditions aren't there, if it's not right. And my partner's in, in Honeyfeet, long-suffering Welsh Adonis of 14 years. And, you know, <laughs> we, we've talked about it a lot. We're going to make it work, aren't we, can't? Aren't we? Where is he? Yeah. We'll make it work. He's sound-checking, bastard. Well, <laughs> what do you mean? Uh, we're going we're gonna to make it work. He's got, he says he's going to be an awesome house husband, but I'm quite territorial, so I don't know if I have any... You know, we, we, we're both musicians. We're yeah. fucked. We've got we've to gotta, we've gotta hustle. We've got to be really clever about it. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Um, I don't want kids, so I hate to ask someone, do they want kids? Because I hate when people ask me that. Yeah. But um, <laughs> since we're in a panel discussion about women in music talking about motherhood. Gwyn, what do you think about having kids? <laughs> um, I, yeah, I really, really can't wait to be a mum. Um, so I got married two weeks ago. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Um, and, you know, and I, I have in my partner a proper teammate for the first time. He plays in my band, he makes my lunch. He prints out my train tickets, he puts me on planes, he packs my bags, um, and uh, he does all my admin. Um, oh my yeah, God. he's like, yeah, it's fucking great, isn't it? Where does he come from? Yeah. <laughs> um, he's out the back. And also, I was well, I was so proud yesterday after the gig, this really attractive uh, lady came up to me after the gig and she said, oh, that gig was just fantastic, and I have to say, your piano player is so sexy. I was like, there he is. Married him. <laughs> um, no, he's, he's amazing. So I, I'm sort of, yeah. The problem is, I am such a workaholic. I'm, I'm working all the time. I'm sometimes like I'm working all through the night till 8.30 in the morning. I am terrible at taking mm. time off. I'm terrible. Like how... Do we, and, and essentially, all of our work comes from, we call it the Herbert Project, you know, comes from my writing, and we're absolutely making that possible together. You know, we are a team facilitating that, but that is coming from me. What if, you know, with listening to you speak, Anushka, about, about just exhaustion levels, I mean, yeah, I'm already pretty knackered because I'm having such a magnificent time making all of this beautiful, varied um, work in dialogue with the world. How do I fit? A mm -hmm. child into that, so I've kind of you get creative, don't you? It's like with, yeah. with with home, my record that came out. I just was in. It came out last January. No, wh whenever it came out, I finished finished it in January. But my second baby was born in February, and it was just like all I knew was from the last time. I didn't want to be working as soon as he was born again. I wanted a little bit. So it was just like, what can I do to finish everything before the baby's done? And like the whole album photo shoot is just tits up. You know, it's just like <laughs> this giant <laughs> belly underneath. But all you see is just like. You know, album cover, press photos, everything, just, just from here well, and behind the table. The and <laughs> I got my what, what would have yeah. happened if you'd had pregnant press shots? You know, why? Yeah, I don't know. Because like, it wouldn't sell as well, because you're not an available, sexy woman like selling a record. It's like you're pregnant, you're married, you're, 
you know, it, it doesn't sell an idea yeah, the same idea. way, so you know? So what I did is I took loads of pictures right. and then I put them all on, on Facebook. So once the album yeah. was out, I was like, this is what it really looked like. Yeah. <laughs> and just had them out at least that way. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's weird. Hmm. We're going to pose some questions to the audience. So have a little think if you want to. We're going to get the roaming mic ready over there. Um, but please, so far, it's just been so... I feel really lucky that I got to sit and have this conversation with you. Rihanna Connolly, Gwyneth Herbert, Anushka Shankar. Hello, listeners. I hope you enjoyed that. I had such an amazing time chatting with Rhi and Gwyn and Anushka. And I thought as well as being very talented and intelligent, they were also totally hilarious. Um, and I'm so grateful for each of them for making the time in their busy schedule to sit down with us. And a big, big thanks to Shambhala Festival for having us along. Um, and thanks to all the staff in the Sankofa's venue for looking after us and to Cotty for capturing this audio and our team, Emma, Meg, Jazz, Charlie and Aubrey. And the best bit is it's not even over. There's a whole other podcast, a part two, featuring much more chat from these ladies as we throw the questions over to the audience. And you can find that on your podcast app. Um, please subscribe to The World Is Listening or on our SoundCloud or website, theworldislistening.co.uk. Uh, there you will also find all the interviews we conducted with all the badass women who performed at Shambhala Festival. So um, you can drop us a line if you fancy. You can email us at hello at theworldislistening.co.uk. Hello! Um, or send us a message via Facebook or our handle on Twitter and Instagram is at WIListening. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please, please do a bunch of hardworking women a favour and share it with your friends. That's goodbye from all of us at The World Is Listening. <laughs>